In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome the voice of the Chicago Bulls, Adam Amin. For fans of all sports, this is a must-listen to interview as Adam goes into detail regarding how he became the voice of the Chicago Bulls and his thoughts on the team's impressive starts so far. This is an awesome chat with Adam. You're really going to enjoy just the insight in terms of him broadcasting during the pandemic, um, just his other broadcasting duties, his thoughts on the Bulls. He's Adam's a really insightful guy, so this is an awesome chat. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now enjoy this chat with Adam. He calls NFL, Major League Baseball, and calls basketball telecasts for Fox Sports. And he is the television voice for the Chicago Bulls. We welcome Adam Amin onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Adam? What's going on, boys? Matt, Justin, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, Adam. This is, I've been really pumped for this interview, a huge fan of your work. And it was quite a surprise when you were named the voice of the Chicago Bulls. I was like, awesome. I was like, this is totally, this is sweet because I'm a huge Bulls fan. So just to hear you and Stacey King together as a unit, I was like, this is going to be a fun ride, no matter how the Bulls are going to perform this season. So I want to get your assessment, Adam, in terms of like, the road it took to become the the voice of the Chicago Bulls in terms of how to come together, just what was the the first phone call in terms of you presenting the opportunity, and then like kind of your first experience this um, comp, just doing your first play by play duties for the Bulls. What was that like? Yeah, I think uh, I was as nervous doing the Bulls as I had been doing anything in my life to that point. It was November of 2018. Uh, I was in the midst of working at ESPN. I was in my I think eighth year at ESPN. I was uh, coming from Ole Miss, I think I had a Saturday college football game in Oxford, Mississippi, and then had to get to Dallas that night to do my first Bulls game the next day against the Mavericks. So I remember that distinctly, but it wasn't my first Bulls game. The first NBA game I ever called was actually a Bulls game. It was for ESPN in December of 2016. And it was Tom Thibodeau coming back to Chicago as the head coach of the Timberwolves. This is when uh jimmy butler and taj gibson were still playing for the bulls zach levine had a very good night for the timberwolves at that point so kind of fitting uh you know in the long run that now levine is is who he is uh playing for this team and i coincidentally enough we're gonna go see Thibodeau and gibson and, and the knicks on uh, on thursday but uh i had gotten a chance to do the nba for a few years uh before i started doing uh any chicago bulls games in in the 18 19 season uh neil funk had uh, said that he wanted to take a little bit of time off and, and kind of step back a little bit and focus, uh, you know, maybe on just doing some home games and, and some easier road games. And, you know, for somebody who's been doing this as long as he has, it's his prerogative. And, and we should all be so lucky to have that flexibility when we decide we want that. And the Bulls started looking around for uh, just fill-ins. And there were a bunch of them. I was one of several fill-ins in that 18-19 season. Myself, John Sadak, Lisa Byington, J.B. Long, Jason Benetti, uh, I mean, yeah, that's a small uh, sampling. I think there were a few more in there mixed in. So, you know, there are a lot of people that obviously would have loved to have any NBA job and certainly would would absolutely love to have a, a job like like one in Chicago for, you know, a top three market and, you know, one of the most recognizable brands in professional sports. Obviously, it's a big deal. Uh, and over the course of that year and the following year, the, the COVID uh, shortened season, uh, that, that got suspended in March and then it obviously landed in the bubble. Uh, during that time, those that year, year and a half, two years, you know, period is when a lot of us were getting, I'll use the word auditioned for lack of a better term. And a lot of us had an opportunity to work with Stacy and 
obviously all those people that I just mentioned are anywhere from capable to exceptional at what they do. And uh, I'm just glad that, that I was part of the mix when it came down to actually needing uh, a successor to Neil Funk. I was glad that uh, I was one of the people who at least made enough of an impact and an impression on the crew and on Stacy in particular to, to kind of be asked if I wanted to have, wanted the job. And, and as soon as they told, asked me, I was, I was in, I was 100% in. And once all the contract stuff got signed, it was, it was great. Obviously that was weird because that was right in the transition from, you know, uh, the season being suspended into the pan, the beginning of the pandemic into the bubble. And I was transitioning jobs. I was leaving ESPN and, and I ended up being able to sign with both Fox sports and the bulls at the same time, which obviously was a, uh, was a matter of convenience and, and, uh, obviously a, a pretty big deal just professionally and personally. So, Adam, we recently talked to Sean Grande, the, the radio voice of the, the Boston and Celtics. Best, one of the best to ever do this, by the way. And I know he'll never say that because he doesn't have an ego, but uh, Sean is one of the best radio play-by-play guys to ever do this job. Agreed. And great MMA announcer as well. Absolutely. Uh, just to add that in there. Uh, uh, yep. Stuff on that too. And he's got hockey. He's great. Yeah. Sean is one of the more underrated play-by-play announcers in the country. 100%. And when talking to him, he mentioned just the challenges that he went through in terms of kind of calling games remotely. And I just want to ask you, with just kind of, you know, everything that's going on with like the variants and just like it's, we're in an unknown future. And as for yourself, like he just talked about how there are struggles in terms of you can't do the job just remotely. It's you have to be actually in the arena calling the games. And I just want to ask you, just. Has any of your the, the broadcast partners that you've worked with have do they have contingency plans in terms of making sure that you're actually at the games, you know, calling it in person just in case there's any more weirdness going on with the pandemic? Because I just just talking to him, he's just so passionate in terms of you. You just can't do your job effectively just calling it on a computer screen just thousands of miles away. You have to actually be there. So I just want to ask you: Are there any kind of contingency plans in terms of you know? if things do take a turn in a weird direction that making sure that you're given the, the best equipment and given the best chances to succeed every chance you're calling it a bulls game or any other sport that you're doing. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, we're still in a position where some of these games, not for the bulls right now, but we're, we're in a position where some of these games are still calling uh, remotely. Now in the NBA, we're very fortunate in Chicago. We're, we're actually one of the few TV crews that's been traveling uh, throughout the season with our full crew. And that may adjust as time goes on and that may adjust next year. And, and we'll know, you know, as time goes on, like you said, Justin, there's a lot of uh, unknowns where, where we're at right now. And that's, that's part of the business of, of being in this business right now. You have to be flexible. You have to adjust. Um, you know, and I feel for a lot of the radio guys, cause the radio people for a good, at least a good chunk of them are not traveling right now. And, you know, a place like the Knicks, the Knicks aren't traveling the radio people. They're the, you know, the number one market in the country and one of the more storied franchises. So it's surprising that they're not traveling. Chuck Swirsky, who does the radio for the Bulls, you know, we're fortunate that he and Bill Wennington are, are traveling with the team. Um, but is there a contingency plan? Not really. I think what the contingency is, we've done it. We've done it. We, we did it last year. We, we were at home for road games. You know, Stacy and I worked out of the studio. Chuck and Bill had a setup at the United Center for road games. Uh, so we can do it. Um, it's it's not, I don't think it's any question anymore in this industry as to whether it can be done or not. The question is, can it be done in a fashion that gives the clearest picture 
idea and concept of what is happening in a game and can it be expressed in the most accurate way possible at the highest level of production possible. And that's what everybody's fighting for right now is can we do this in some sense as normally as we did before the pandemic hit. So we're trying across the board, when, when I say we, I mean the industry across the board is trying to get back to whatever sense of normalcy they can find. But I'm not stupid. Like I understand that capitalism is, is at the forefront of most of the things that we do and that the bottom line is gonna be very important and that a lot of companies, networks, whatever it may be, are going to try to save a dollar here and there. And I'm being very um, simplistic about it. I'm being very reductive about it because I don't like it. I want my producer, my director, my graphics people, my analysts, my, you know, our crew. I want, and fans, I want, I want the buildings to be full, but I also understand oh. that it's not always safe. It's, or, or it may not be safer in the future. Like I, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, operating with blinders on. I understand that the world is a lot bigger than what we're doing. So my hope is that we can continue to do things the way that at least our crew, the way that we're doing it right now, my hope is that we can continue to do it, uh, continue to do it in this fashion. But I know that's not going to be the case for everything. And everybody's making adjustments and we're trying as best as we can. But if you ask me what my ideal scenario is, it's let's be as normal as possible and normal being the definition that we all understood before the pandemic hit. So if we can do it, I'd love to keep doing it that way. Absolutely. Adam, I, I have a simple question, but I think it's an interesting question for you in particular with your you know, extensive broadcasting career and, and the amount of different sports that you've covered. Um, what's your favorite sport purely as a spectator and what's your favorite as a broadcaster? Are they one and the same or um, are there differences to consider when you're entering into the broadcasting role? You know, it's hard for me to answer the broadcast part because I'm not sure. Hmm. I think I like the job more now than I do the sports themselves, which is a weird thing to say. I know like, and, and I don't mean like, I don't like basketball. I just like sure. TV. That's not, uh, what I'm saying is that your fandom goes away in a sense doing this hmm. job. It has to. And there's parts of it and obviously doing a local job for the team that I grew up with. Like it's easier to kind of be a fan in that sense. And I am a fan and I, 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 now I get to let a little bit of that out, but I'm still a liaison. I'm still doing a job. I'm, I don't, I can't be the same fan that you are sitting on the couch. I'm not allowed to do that. And I don't want to do that. Frankly, I, I don't like being a fan anymore that much. I think the emotional uh, roller coaster of it is something that I'm, I really don't want to deal with anymore. I, I like my emotions coming out on the air and trying to be reflective of what's happening in the game. But my emotions as a fan, I, I feel like I've done done the deed that you kind of have to do in this position of, of bottling that and suppressing that a little bit. So when I do get to go to a game as a spectator, I don't enjoy it as much because I like being in the booth. I like calling the game itself. I like being invested in it and knowing the ins and outs and the nuances of it. So... I would say maybe baseball as a fan going to the ballpark is still an enjoyable experience. If I'm with people, with my friends, we're enjoying the, the, the smells, the sounds, the atmosphere, the warmth of the weather, like those days are still very enjoyable to me, but it's not, I don't enjoy spectating games the way I, I think I used to. 
in terms of calling games, I think whatever the next game is, is the most exciting thing. I have, I have a Bulls Knicks game and a Bears Cardinals game this weekend. And I'm excited for both, but I'm locked in on the bull. I'm watching the Knicks and Nets right now just to get a little quick, quick sense of, of New York again and, and what they're looking like without Kemba Walker in the rotation. And I'm pumped for that. I'm pumped that we get to be at Madison Square Garden this week. And then I'm pumped that we get to be at home. I get to be in my hometown. I wake up in my own bed. I'm going to take the two mile drive to Soldier Field on Sunday and do a game there. Like I, I want to be as invested and present as possible in the next thing that's coming up. So like I said, my, my fandom's kind of dissipated, but my love for the job itself and the context of the sport that we're calling it in, like that still is really, really enjoyable for me. So I know it's kind of a roundabout answer, not exactly a specific one, but I, I think that's the best way I can describe it without having a real grasp for it. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, it seems like with the work that you put in preparing for the broadcast that you do, it would be kind of hard to detach that and, and yeah. move into spectator roles yeah. is what it sounds like. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. Like you, you do have to be detached in some facets and then you have to be overly invested, like more invested than maybe you even like, do I want to be this invested in the New York Giants football team? I do not. I really do not. But we're doing, you know, we've done like four Giants games already this year. And I think we have one or two more coming. So like I have to be invested in the New York Giants. It's not an insult to the Giants or how they play. It's just it, I why would I have I'm not I have no connectivity to, to the Giants. So you know, I, I, I'm invested more so than some other people are because I want to be as prepared as possible. I, I always look at the, look at the home broadcasters and obviously, you know, I, I did a playoff series for major league baseball this year, and I wanted to be as dialed into the white Sox as Jason Benetti and as dialed into the Houston Astros as Todd Callis, the everyday TV broadcasters. I want to be as dialed into the giants as Bob Papa, the radio guy. And I want to be as dialed into the Arizona Cardinals as Dave Pashes, you know, the radio announcer. I want to I want to have at least that same knowledge base. I'm not never going to have the exact same. They're obviously going to be way ahead of me, just the same way anybody who comes in to do a Bulls game isn't going to have the knowledge base that I do for this season because I'm there every day or just about. So I'm trying to do my best to be as locked in on those uh, on those groups as possible every single week, just so I can show up and be able to say things confidently and know that. I'm not BSing a fan who knows the team or I'm not lying to somebody who is unfamiliar with the team. Do you think with um, with the way that you prepare for the broadcast and as you mentioned, like kind of being a little bit less of, of like a rah-rah type of fan, like Yego Bulls fan, but rather objectively being great at covering the sport, does that make you in any way, have you noticed like a bigger span, a fan of the sport of basketball, for example, as a whole? Like, do you think there's a, a different level there potentially? I do think so. And I think this might actually be a better answer to your previous question. I think the things about the three sports that I get to call, there's something specific about each one that really draws me. So hmm. baseball is the sport I grew up on. It's the, the it's the one that I feel the most rom romance about. Um, it's the one that I have the most probably emotional connectivity to. It's the sport that got me into broadcasting. Doing minor league baseball was my first real job in this industry. So that that has that connectivity to me, the storytelling aspect of it and the drama of it, especially playoff baseball. So th that aspect of it appeals to me. For football, it's the urgency. Uh, there is such a demand for the result of each game. And there's so much weight on each game. And obviously it's the most popular sport in America. Like people care, people watch, you know, Anywhere from three to ten to fifteen million people are watching one of our games on Sundays, and that that's 
that, that's important to this country. That's a cultural thing. And you're a, a small, small, small part of that. That's meaningful. The, the dramatics and the urgency and the care of it. And then for basketball, it's the adrenaline sport for me. It's it's the sport that I get get to let loose the most. Obviously, being a local commentator for the Bulls and being an excitable broadcaster in general, I don't let that out as much on football or baseball, or at least the opportunities to do so are fewer and further between. So on, on basketball, especially in the NBA, it's a highlight-driven league. Uh, I mean, I like I said, I'm I've grew I've grown up as an excitable broadcaster. I've kind of tried to temper that a little bit as to not go overboard. And, and obviously that's a, that's a battle every day. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm appropriate to the energy of the game, but if the energy of the game is high, I'm going to try to match that because I still, like I said, maybe I'm not as big of a fan as I used to be, but when I'm invested in the game and I prepped and I know the ebbs and flows of the first three and a half quarters, and now we've got four minutes left and it's a two point game, I'm invested and I'm going to be uh, invested for those minutes and my voice and my energy. And I, and I think, you know, Stacy would say the same thing for both of us, for himself, especially too. We're invested in the energy of those moments and the NBA more than any sport for me. And I, I would say across the country, but for me personally, I think it's such a highlight driven league and it's such an adrenaline and energy league that it, that really appeals to me. So I think Matt, you're right in that regard for the NBA. Adam, could you just go over the chemistry you have with Stacy, and especially with this season, as compared to other seasons, I believe, with the Bulls, with the product on the floor, they're, I think, much more kind of a high-paced, high-energy team compared to um, their counterparts in the, in the rest of the league. And I think your, your commentary reflects that um, compared to some other commentary in other local markets. So can you kind of explain that dynamic? Because I feel like you guys are just really having fun, and also the players kind of, it kind of reflects that. It's kind of like a mirror to what's happening on the court. And I think this is great to see in terms of, how does teams perform it? Because your commentary matches what's actually happening with, you know, Levine and DeRozan and Alice Caruso. It's just all that's blended into to say a great package, no matter if, even if the bulls lose just hearing your guys' highlights every time on YouTube, it's just usually there's one or two, just like great kind of uh, exchanges between the two of you in terms of just um, going over a highlight. So can you kind of explain how that chemistry is between yourself and Stacy? Well, I mentioned that game in Dallas in November of 18 and, and I remember walking in and, uh, you know, Stacy was just there, you know, giving me a big bear hug. I think, I think I was the first fill in, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So I didn't, I, I wanted to tread very carefully, uh, because I didn't want to overstep my bounds and that's, I'm still in kind of a position, uh, in, in a similar position. I don't want to overstep my bounds. I I'm still learning, um, and I'm trying to figure out what my place is in this uh, in in this kind of space, but Stacy kind of welcomed me in a big way. You know, it's a big bear hug, and and I was just I was welcomed in right out of the gate. And he did that with everybody, by the way. He was that open and and understanding of the situation uh, to the point where he was open with everybody. I mean, he was as supportive of Lisa Byington as anybody. And and I look at Lisa. I'm not saying Stacy's the reason she has the the buck shot, but you know, she has it because she's awesome. But but like. Stacy welcomed her and made her feel like you're here. You belong here. They hired you. That means you belong here. And I'm going to make sure that we reflect that when you're calling a game with me. And he was the same way with Jason and John and JB and Kyle and Mark and everybody else that came in to do a game. Uh, he was like that with all of us. So he, I think that's inherent in him. He's a showman <laughs> in the sense of like, he, 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 
he's an entertainer. He's a funny guy, as you you all know, and you don't hear any of the stuff off the air. Like you might hear a little bit of it if you listen to his podcast and things like that. But like he is one of the funnier people I know. He just he cracks up the back of the plane, you know, myself and our production crew and some of the media people like we're always laughing because it's Stacy making us laugh. And everything that you get on air, that's who he is off the air in a little bit of a of a a package. Like, yeah, he's not going to be as loose with, uh, you know, with on air as he is with me in the back of the plane. But like, it's his personality. It's him. Everything you see in here is him. He was that type of player. He was a journalism major at Oklahoma. So like, he really understood this, this space, but he was always a, a bombastic personality. He was funny. He was entertaining. He, everybody liked him. So when he got into broadcasting, he wanted to do it the same way he'd always known. And people told him, no, you shouldn't do it this way. You gotta, you gotta be more professional. You gotta be more polished. And, and he is those things like he, all the technical aspects of a broadcast, he understands and he navigates them as well as anybody, but he's going to do it his way and he's going to do it as him. And I think you have to be an announcer when you work with big personalities, you have to let them be who they are. Otherwise you're stifling something that could be really unique. And I think it's a little bit of an ego check. Now I came in having done a few years of the NBA and doing the NBA, I've worked a lot of radio and being able to get the position I had at ESPN, I was the number two radio guy. So I did one of the conference final series and a bunch of playoff games leading up to it and some TV playoffs. So like I had a really wide knowledge base of the current iteration of the league when I came in. And I think that put Stacy at ease as well. Cause I think I was probably the most experienced NBA announcer of the people that were auditioning for the job. So I, I mean, I'm sure that had something to do with it. But I already had this knowledge base and I had worked with a ton of big personalities. I've done games with Dick Vitale. And I mean, I, I, if you can work a game with Dickie V and you understand that this is a special like unicorn like entity, you let them go and you, you fill in where you need to. If your ego is such that you can't handle that, then maybe Stacy's not the partner for you. Or maybe this business isn't for you. Or maybe this particular job isn't for you. I think you have to understand that on TV, the game is the star and the analyst is, is adjacent to that. And then you make it all come together. And if hearing your highlights on YouTube anytime you want or being recognized as the voice of insert franchise here isn't enough for you, then maybe you need to do something else because this isn't going to fulfill you. You need to be fulfilled by the enjoyment of it, the enjoyment of doing the job, the enjoyment of the atmosphere, the game, the sport, these incredible athletes that we get to watch. And my job is to make sure that the guy next to me, A, is enjoying himself, B, is engaged in the game, and C, it knows he's going to have the space to do what it is that he is so good at doing. And if you can fill in and work around that, great. And the other part about working with Stacy is he's accepted me and also get, he's also like given me space to do more stuff. And now he's going to jump in when he's excited and you just roll with it. Like nobody's going to be upset at Stacy getting excited about something. They're going to be more upset if you're stifling it. Now, you have to you have to do your job. You have to make sure he's on on target and he's not getting too far away. But then 
rarely, if ever, happens. Like I said, he's a polished broadcaster. So a uh, long answer for that, guys, I know. But there's a lot, a lot of layers to why I think he's as good of an analyst as we have in the NBA. And by the way, it's not just catchphrases and yelling, you know, excitedly when the crowd's going nuts. He's a, a true down to the roots XO basketball analyst. And we do a lot of that on our show. I know this league very well. I'm confident in knowing at least the current iteration of the league. And I know where he wants to go and I know where he can go and he can go pretty much anywhere. And I think that's, what's made this easy in the in the basic sense obviously there's you, you work through it but i think it's been easy because of him and because of his openness and because of his skill agreed i think that comes across um, on the, the broadcast and i, I want to ask you adam in talking with sean again just he mentioned the fans and when watching your broadcast i feel like you guys do a great job of being excited and you know you, you walk that fine line of of course you're the hometown announcers for the bulls but it's, there's no, it's basically, it's pure, you're really objective. And I'm just wondering about the, the, the Bulls fan base, they're hardcore fans. I'm just wondering, have you ran into this kind of any delusional fans out there in terms of you're laying down some truth and being objective and like, you know, <laughs> calling the game correctly, but you know how fans are. They kind of see things in rose-colored glasses in some ways. So I'm just wondering, have you come across that so far in your experience this I season? Would say, I would say it's coming in a different fashion, though. I think... I would say one out of like every five, maybe I don't even know if it's that high of a percentage, to be honest with you. I think it's probably like one out of every eight, like that. It's like one out of every eight people who would say something to me or tweet something at me, which by the way, like I don't tweet really anymore. I just kind of gave it up. I, I'm on it because I monitor it, obviously. And I see if people tag me once in a while, but like I, if anybody says anything, it's like one out of eight. They're like, why are you getting excited for the other team? I'm like, if you can't get excited when, right. the other night, like Jalen McDaniels threw down like a hammer left-hand dunk on a really well-executed LaMelo ball pick and roll. And if you can't enjoy that, or at least be impressed by it to the point where like you can't, your voice doesn't get up or you're completely flat. I don't know how you enjoy doing the games. Right. Like I, I don't know how else to do the games and my justification for doing that here and operating that way here. I think if you if you're under the impression that I'm more happy that the other team is doing well, then I think you're delusional. I, I just you're you're out of your board and you're hearing things that you think so that your mind justifies your ideas and you're and you're assuming that I'm gonna I, I'm in the wrong, and that's fine. My my energy is if you you can say literally whatever you want, I just don't care at that point. I I do this job the way I've known how to do it. I got hired for a reason. I'm good at what I do, and I'm tired of being like like being fake humble like other people are and being like well i don't know what i'm doing i'm learning i'm getting better i'm trying to get better i'm not anywhere near where i want to be in this job in terms of quality and skill but i'm damn good at what i do and i got hired because of that and i got hired as somebody who's knowledgeable about the nba and i'm working next to somebody who's exceptionally knowledgeable about the nba and if either one of us pretended that what's happening with if the opposition does something positive if we pretended that that wasn't the case, we would be like people in Chicago, I at least believe are smarter than that. And I give, I at least have more respect for the audience in this city and in this market than maybe they have for themselves. I don't think that's the case. I think people in Chicago believe, and I would agree on the, for the most part, 
that they're intelligent fans, like truly intelligent fans who know the game, who know the personnel, who know the opposition. But there are going to be a, a there's go- always going to be a certain portion of any fan base, yeah. especially one that's as large as the Bulls is, that's going to think that you're rooting against them or something. And at this point of doing this on national TV for 10 years and doing it locally for, I'll call it to like a year and a half, essentially two years, maybe I, this is how I'm going to do the job. This is one of the most fun jobs in the world. And if you can't get excited for a really impressive dunk or a, or a a Damian Lillard game winning three pointer, regardless of who it's against then I don't know if you have the pulse for this and I get feeling if you're a fan, how you feel. Of course, you feel that way. You should feel that way. You're a fan of the team. You just lost, but I'm giving you the game. I don't always, I'm not always here to empathize with a fan base uh, of, of a certain stripe. I'm just giving you the game and how we interpret it, Stacy and I. And hopefully it's intelligent enough to match what we think the intelligence level of this market and the NBA fan at large is. Because we're pretty much, in my eyes, doing a national broadcast every night. But we are clearly slanted with our enjoyment, our excitement, and our desire for one team to win clearly to the Bulls. And if somebody can't see that, then I I just think they're not listening the way that two people are trying to have them interpret. And that's okay. That's that's, Your job is to enjoy it the way you want to. I'm just not going to listen to anything of that stripe because I know who I'm sitting next to and I know my own abilities and we know our abilities. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, how can you not be excited when Steph Curry just goes, shoot, shoots eight threes in a row? Like, I, you're I, not I, human. By <laughs> years doing, doing national stuff for ESPN, like, your job is to just get excited. Like, it's great doing national NBA games because just if something cool happens, which is often, you get to be excited about right. it. And I called – Steph Curry was scoreless at halftime in, like, game six of a playoff series – against the Rockets, and then went off for like 33 in the second half with one hand. He had a busted (laughs) finger on the other hand. Like, I was marveling at that. I have been four feet away from LeBron James when he has hit some of the biggest shots of his life in a playoff series. I've been there for buzzer beaters for LeBron. I've been there for huge Curry and Harden and Durant performances. I've been there for the Jason Tatum dunk on LeBron. I've been there for... Uh, Gordon Hayward dunking on Blake Griffin in a playoff game. I've been there for Chris Paul putting together one of the best fourth quarters of his life in a playoff game. And I've, that's how I was conditioned to do this sport. And I, that's the way I love doing this sport. I mean, it's a sport of moments and if, and those moments come from both teams and they come often and you have to be ready for them. And and I don't think you can cheat somebody watching the game. I'm not saying I'm going to, Love that the Hornets did something good uh, in terms of how I feel about it affecting the Bulls, but in a vacuum of watching this team or watching the sport and they do some course, I'm going to be excited about it because it's an awesome place to be and it's an awesome sport to watch. Yeah, I just think too, like the human element, like we're all human beings right here. We're watching human beings perform and there's this level of like disbelief. Every single game, yeah. there's there's several plays in the NBA, especially, but I mean across the board in professional sports. Like I, I can't believe you as a human being just did that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, well, that's why we like sports. I mean, I, people have always asked, like, totally. what's the connectivity here? And I'm like, you, me, and 99.5 percent of the people on the planet cannot do the physical things that these groups of people do. Whether it's Olympians, whether it's gymnasts, whether it's basketball Agreed. players, football, whatever. 
I can't hit a ball 400 feet. I can't dunk a basketball. Am I more like, and, and think about this, the three of us, could we make a 25 foot three pointer? Yeah, we can make one. <laughs> I mean, we can't shoot a hundred and make 45, but we can make one. So in our heads, it's like, all right, the three pointer is cool. I can't make a 30 footer. I can't make a 35 footer. I can't do what Curry does. So when he does those things that are just marvels of the physical nature of the sport that he's playing, it's hard not to get caught up in that. The same way that when Simone Biles puts together an incredible performance on the on the mat, on the on, on the floor routine, you go, this is incredible. This is, I can't believe a human does this. And that's the point. That's what sports are. It's marveling at the feats uh, that, that are done physically by members of the same species as you and I are. And we just go, I can't do that. That's so cool that this person has the gift and the ability and the skill to do that. Adam, before we let you go, we got to ask you just what you think of the, the Bulls overall this season. Um, right at the top of the, the Eastern Conference, in that mix, that top tier in terms of elite teams. Um, what's your opinion? I, I watched the, the Bulls when they came to town to face the Nuggets. Um, very high-flying, very efficient with DeRozan. Um, Levine, very clutch. Alice Caruso's been an awesome addition. What's your thoughts on this team? I mean, it's weird because in previous years, even through the Derrick Rose years and years prior to that, after the Jordan era, I won't call them like a flashy team to watch. They're very grind in terms of their defensive mentality. But I mean, honestly, I think they're one of the best teams to watch from a um, from a daily basis in, in the league. So, what's your opinion of this team, and where do you think their ceiling is heading into the Christmas break into heading into the All Star break as well? Uh, I mean, obviously, when they got off to a hot start, um, there's some thought that maybe they have a ceiling as high as maybe like a number three seed. I said before the season, based on the iteration of the roster and, and after seeing him in a couple preseason games, I thought, you know what? I don't know what Philadelphia is going to look like. I get the sense that Brooklyn and Milwaukee will probably be at the top when it's all said and done. You know, obviously Milwaukee's gotten off to a great run since they got healthier. Uh, Brooklyn's Brooklyn. Uh, they're playing great, but at the ceiling, yeah, there, there's a pipe dream out there that is not all that much of a pipe dream, but kind of, that they're the three seed. I think at worst, they're a playoff team. And I mean that as a top six team. Because I think the way they've at least shown us that they're able to play through 20, 21, 22 games, whatever it is now, they should be a at worst the six seed. They should be of out of the play-in tournament. I think they're good enough on a night-to-night basis at both ends to justify feeling that they're good enough to at least be the sixth seed. I think they're in that mix. I think a four, five, six mix is probably where, where they belong and where they could be based on the rest of the conference. I think three is a lofty goal, but not an unattainable one. I think they would need some help to be the three seed. I think, you know, a, a Philadelphia would have to just derail when they're healthy. Obviously, Embiid is, has been dealing with protocol stuff for a while, so they're not as good as they're going to be. Uh even without Simmons, I think they're pretty good. I think Embiid him, himself and the roster they have around him. I think Tobias Harris is excellent. I think they play good defense. I think Seth Curry is a revel- is in a, revel- a revelatory season right now where he is a, a really good number three option. I think it's a well-built team. So the Bulls would need some help to get that high, but I think it's a reasonable expectation to be a four or five, and I think it's a realistic expectation to be a five or a six. 
Adam, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much for joining the show. Can you please let our audience know where they can find you on social media, uh, what other products you're working on? Again, go over the games you're calling this week as well. This has been a fantastic chat. Thank you again. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm on Twitter if, if if you feel like it. Like I said, I've, I haven't tweeted in about five months, but um, I'm on it. I, I see what's going on. So if at worst, send a, send a funny meme or something, and I'll enjoy that. Uh, but that's at Adam Amin. I'm on Instagram at Adam Amin. I do more on Insta than I do on Twitter now. And uh, I work uh, work in all these Bulls games. And hopefully you run into us on League Pass or, or on NBA TV if we're on one night uh, calling these games. Uh, so we got the Bulls and the Knicks coming up on Thursday. Uh, I work uh, NFL Sunday for Fox Sports and uh, calling the Bears and the Cardinals this week and probably in a market that uh, you're in at some point down the line. And uh, also... I work uh, some NBA games for uh, the Oculus. I don't know if you guys have uh, played around with that Oculus VR headset. Oh, cool. There are actually some specific oh. broadcasts that are produced for the Oculus in, in VR uh, that I get to call with Richard Jefferson. Uh, and we've been doing that for a couple of years, ever since the bubble, actually. So uh, we've had a really, really fun time with it. It's really loose. Uh, we, we have a ball call in those games. I think we have Lakers and Grizzlies next Thursday. And we do like seven or eight of those uh, each season, so that that's always a good time too. So if if you're if you're on that or you're getting an Oculus for for Christmas or something like that, maybe jump on and and uh, give it a listen. That's awesome, Adam. Thank you very much again for your time. Much appreciated. Thanks, man. Thanks, Justin.